2: Personally, I believe that mankind still spits in the face of God. The multitude of our actions, our attitudes, and the words that, that, that those who despise God and, and don't want Him reigning or ruling, they don't even want to imagine that He's there. Even by their arrogance, by their denial, whatever the situation is, by all of these things, they continue to spit in the face of God the God who loved them so much that He sent His only Son in order to die in their place.
0: As Jesus was being prepared for trial, the soldiers took pleasure in persecuting Him,
2: spitting in His face,
0: mocking Him, beating Him. Yet, He was doing this for them as much as He was for any of us. What incredible grace! As Pastor David explains in today's message, humanity continues to spit in the face of God through their ignorance and denial of His sovereignty and loving forgiveness. There's no neutral ground. Either you are with God or you are against Him. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Spitting in the Face of God.
2: We are continuing on in our study in the book of Luke. We invite you to turn there, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. We're actually in the last few verses of chapter 22. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, How long have you been in Luke? I, I had to go back and look, and uh, suddenly I realized I've been in Luke a long, long time. Well, we are almost through. We're actually in the last few uh, uh, chapters of Luke. We're finishing up 22, and we're going to move into chapter 23 this morning. Uh, one of the things that we've shared over the last couple of weeks is, again, uh, we're at that time and event of the last of the ministry of Christ. We had had the upper room uh, event with Jesus and his disciples, uh, Judas leaving the upper room to go and betray him to the Jewish leaders. We had from the upper room the time of going over to the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the deep prayer the the and the anxiety that, that filled Christ during that time, the stress that was there to the The point that his sweat drops came out as even as blood as he prayed so earnestly, Father, if this if it be possible that this cup pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless. Thy will be done. We had the fact that at that point in time, as he went and woke the disciples up, because as he was so earnestly praying, the disciples were sleeping, and as he went to wake them up the third time, suddenly the the the, the mob scene showed up with Judas in the lead. He came up and kissed Christ as an identifier for the mob to come and arrest Jesus. At that point in time, you remember. Simon Peter, moving in the flesh rather than moving in the spirit, drew out his sword. And we spoke about the fact that you and I, working in the flesh, we do not accomplish the things of God's kingdom. And only when we work and when we move in the spirit. And just as uh, Simon Peter took off the ear of Malchus, the high, uh, high priest's servant, we do a lot of damage to a lot of people when we move in the flesh. But Jesus brings about healing when we move in the spirit. Well, they've arrested Jesus. They've taken him first of all to Annas's house, the former high priest, and now he is at Caiaphas's house, and there in the courtroom, uh, or courtyard of Caiaphas was Simon Peter make- warming himself there at the campfire of the enemy, and that's where he found himself denying Christ for three different times. That's where we were last week, and once he realized that he had denied his Lord three different times, just as the Lord Jesus told him he would, he went out bitterly weeping and it was a weeping of repentance, a weeping of sorrow, not simply because he was caught in the act, but because, again, it broke his heart that he had denied his Lord three times there that evening. That's where we pick up the event and the, the situation going on with Jesus. We are uh, looking at all of the trials that he's going to be going through. We spoke last week that there's actually six different trials, and I really we can't even call them trials. They're more... like uh, inquisitions or kangaroo courts as he's brought before the Jewish leadership, first Annas, then Caiaphas, and then the Sanhedrin. And then from there he goes to the secular courts of Pilate, and then Herod, and then back again to Pilate. And no matter how You look at these events, how you look at the situations that Jesus found himself in, the end result is the same. The innocent Lamb of God, our Savior, was treated like a common thief, like a murderer, and he was placed on a cruel Roman cross, and he died for the sins of the world. He died for the sins even of those who were responsible for nailing him to the cross. And even as he hung on the cross, he looked down. On those people, and to his father, he cried out, Father, forgive them because they're clueless. You know what? The world today still is clueless, they don't know the greatness of the love of God for them, and so they continue on in their rebellion against God. And all the time, God has his arms outstretched for them. But I've loved you with an everlasting love in order that your sin might be forgiven. Charles Wesley, he penned the words back in the late 1700s. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died for me, who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Look with me, if you would, here in Luke 22. They've taken him away from the garden. They're at the home of Caiaphas. We're down in verse 63 of Luke chapter 22. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and they beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy. Who is the one who struck you? And many other things. They blasphemously spoke against him. Normally, when you strike somebody in the face, whether you strike them with an open hand or with a clenched fist, they can see it coming and they can kind of respond back and uh, at least respond from the blow a little bit. But when you blindfold someone, they, they don't know when the hit is coming or from what direction it's coming. They have no opportunity to be able to, to kind of soften the blow in any way. They blindfolded our Lord and began to beat him with the full force of each strike. And then they would say, prophesy, who hit you? Supposed to be this great prophet. Who was it that hit you? You know the interesting thing about that? You can blindfold him, but he would know exactly who hit who hit you? Oh, Nathan, I know that. Whoa. Wouldn't that surprise you? Oh, Aaron, that was you. But he didn't. Like a lamb is quiet before his shears. So he stood quiet against those that came against him. Mark and Matthew, in in their writing of this event, they tell us that actually before they blindfolded him, they spat in his face. Now, you can call me names, you can push me, you can shove me, you can even strike me, but you come up and you spit in my face. That's the most lowest, most degrading thing you could ever do to an individual. And there, as Christ stood before them, they spat in his face. Can you imagine the audacity of spitting in the face of God? That's exactly what was going on here. Personally, I believe that mankind still spits in the face of God. There are a multitude of our actions, our attitudes, and the words that that, that those who despise God and, and don't want him reigning or ruling, they don't even want to imagine that he's there, even by their arrogance by their denial whatever the situation is by all of these things they continue to spit in the face of God the God who loved them so much that he sent his only son in order to die in their place to again pay for the sin that they've committed in order that the God who they spit at and who they curse about could become their loving heavenly father forgiving their sins, and assuring their eternity in presence with him. We'll look at that further this morning as we go on. But right now we find that dawn is beginning to rise on the eastern horizon, and after being passed from Annas the Older and the past high priest, then to Caiaphas the present high priest, the the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of Israel, they began to become assembled as a matter of fact that they knew that according to their own law they couldn't hold court before sunrise but before the sun arose I believe that they were starting to gather there in their council room already in place and actually not ready just to hear the case no they were already in place they were all ready to pass judgment as soon as Jesus came before them look with me if you would at verse 66 And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I told you, you'll by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you'll by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they said, are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. These questions that they asked him, they weren't questions where they were seriously wanting to know Are you are you really the Messiah? Are, are you really the hope of Israel? No, they weren't asking because they wanted to know the Messiah. They were asking because they were looking at a way to bring accusation in order that they could bring judgment upon him. And even he said, man, you're not asking in order that you might believe. And even if I ask you, do you believe that I'm the Messiah? You wouldn't give me an answer. They weren't searching for Messiah, they were looking for the opportunity to execute the one who stood before them. And even in Jesus' reply, he clearly declares the truth and his eternal position when he says right there, hereafter, The Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And with that very declaration, he was declaring himself as Messiah. The Son of Man, that is a messianic title of Messiah. It is the title that declares who he truly is. Even as we've studied here in the book of Luke, that very title, the Son of Man, we see it all throughout the writings of Luke. And once he said that, That set the entire council into an absolute outrage. They they didn't know what to do with themselves. Here, now he said it. He said it. Now what are we gonna do? As, As a matter of fact, Matthew tells us about this whole event. It says that when he said those things, the high priest literally tore his clothes and he said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why? Because he declared himself as Messiah when he said that. The high priest went on to say, what further do we What further need do we have of witnesses? Remember, the other gospel accounts tell us about the witnesses that they brought. They brought two witnesses to bring some charges against them. But even these two witnesses, they they couldn't agree with the, the things that they declared. They were of absolutely no value. But now Jesus himself declares, no, I'm the son of man. And so the high priest says, look, now you have heard this blasphemy. It's interesting that some say that Jesus never really truly claimed to be Messiah, and yet the Jews understood exactly what he was saying here. The Jewish leaders declared he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. And so you see, the problem is still the same today. Even today, whenever man hears the claims of Jesus Christ, they're left with only one of two choices. Only one of two Number one, they can spit in the face of the God who loves them. Who loves them enough that he was willing to give his life in place of the payment for their sins and in doing so they reject his offer of forgiveness or they come and fall before him and they receive the free gift of his love, and they surrender their life to him. Beloved, there's only one of two choices. You cannot be neutral in this. God's word does not allow it to be a neutral place. You cannot be Sweden when it comes to the gospel, okay? You've got to make the choice. You're either with him or you are against him. Well, from the Sanhedrin uh, council room, they then led Jesus to the Praetorium, that's the place where the Roman governor would sit and would again listen to charges and go ahead and and, and make the judgments there. And Jesus had been condemned by the Sanhedrin. They said, no, he's worthy of death, we condemn him now. But the problem was is they could not give the charge of execution because of the Roman government that was in charge over that area. They had to get Rome's okay, so they had to bring him to Pilate in order that Pilate would then condemn him and call for him to be executed. And so we move into chapter 23. Look at chapter 23, if you would, verse beginning in verse one. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. And so Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. The Jews brought Jesus to Pilate, and there they accused him of perversion, evasion, and delusion. He was perverting the nation by teaching the things that he was teaching. He spoke of evading the taxes that were required. And the delusion was that he says that he himself is Christ A king, that's what the charges were. In their own courts, in the Jewish courts, it was a charge of blasphemy, but they knew that that would never get an execution from Rome. And so here, now, they're bringing these charges against him on a secular level. And Pilate was no dummy. He understood what was going on. He understood that this was really a religious issue, not a secular one. And though, although Pilate didn't like the Jews, he didn't like even his position of having to be governor over the Jews, he did know that something had to be done in order to keep these guys from rioting because if they rioted, and Rome heard about a riot going on in Jerusalem, that would be Pilate's problem then with Rome, and for, regardless of what happened with the Jews. Caesar Tiberius in Rome, who had actually placed Pilate in this position just a few years prior to this, he really didn't care for Pilate, and neither did he care for the Jews at all. So it wouldn't take much for Tiberius to, again, boot Pilate out. And so here is Pilate's position. His his, his future livelihood, perhaps even his life, was now tenuous at best. It was in a very shaky situation. He knew that a decision needed to be made, but he didn't want to be the responsible one to make that decision. So like all good leaders, he determined to pass the buck. And he found out that, again, Jesus was from Galilee. Look at it with me here in verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man was a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him. Why? Because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some parlor trick done by him. Now yours probably says miracle, but let's call it for what it is. Hey, can you do one of those trick things? Can can you do one of those miracle things? Oh, I've been wanting to see one of those. You see, he had longed to see him not because he had heard he was the Messiah, but because he had heard of the miraculous work that he was doing. Pilate wanted to be entertained. He didn't want to be surrendered to Christ. He wanted to be entertained by Christ. They went on, Uh, uh, he questioned him. Verse nine, he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes, they stood and they vehemently accused him. Then Herod with his men of war, they treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. They arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other for previously they had been at enmity with each other. See, Herod, he was the one that had been responsible for the execution of John the Baptist, if you remember, because of, again, his, 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 his affair with actually his, his sister-in-law and, and the whole situation that John the Baptist continued to declare, man, you're living in sin, you're living in sin, you're living in sin. But the problem is, is when a voice is saying you're living in sin for so long, you have to do one of two things either have to repent, or you have to get rid of that voice. And Herod was not the kind of guy that would repent. So he executed John the Baptist. And Herod was also, his position was, in essence, he was the boss over Pilate. He was the ruler over the entire region. And since Rome didn't really care for Pilate, Herod didn't really care for Pilate e- either. And, and, and it, it's so interesting, though, that these two who actually had been enemies for so long are now becoming friends when they both hate the same thing. They're both focused on the hatred of the Jews. They're both focused now on the hatred of Christ. And as they come together, even Herod, though he had a Jewish background, he didn't like the Jews And now, because Jesus wouldn't jump to his commands, wouldn't entertain him, they mocked him and they sent him back to Pilate. Back to Pilate's courts again. And so Pilate calls back for the Jewish leadership to come back in. Look at verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, "'You've brought this man to me "'as one who misleads the people.'" And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. And no, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. But I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. It would have been so easy for Pilate to have released Jesus at that point in time. Since you guys are bringing him to the secular court, you're bringing these charges against him. We've questioned him. We find no fault in this man. We're going to release him. I'm going to wash my hands of this situation. But What he and the Jewish leadership really never understood was that God had a greater plan that was being worked out even through them. The Jews would not have allowed Jesus to go free. They would have had none of that. They were out for blood and they wouldn't be satisfied until it was the blood of Jesus. And how ironic is that? They wanted the blood of Jesus, but not for its cleansing power not for its ability to forgive their sins, but they wanted the blood of Jesus in order to get rid of his message and hopefully the conviction that he himself was probably bringing on those who were so caught up in religion and yet by their very acts continued to spit in the face of God.
0: Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are a grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande.
1: Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word. Make
1: a small-